hello, I am your host, Karen Doyle, and welcome to The Genius Podcast. The Genius Podcast is part of a much bigger initiative for Catholic women called The Genius Project. The heart of The Genius Project is dedicated to equipping and supporting women of all ages and stages of life to discover what it is that God has placed within their hearts to do, giving them the permission to follow that God whisper and dream, and then equipping them with the knowledge and practical skills to make it happen. If you are looking to discover what it is that you are called to do with your life, if you have a dream or a passion, but you lack the skills and confidence to take that next step, or you just need some great advice on living your vocation as a Catholic woman, then this podcast is for you. This week's genius guest is Mary Lennerberg. Mary lives in the United States of America in Virginia with her husband of 31 years and her son. She is an incredible writer, speaker, and all-round awesome woman of God. She is the author of the book, Be Brave in the Scared, How I Learned to Trust God During the Most Difficult Days of My Life. This book is a really uplifting account of human frailty and stubbornness, as Mary likes to say, surrendered to faith. It is the heart-rendering story of how caring for her severely disabled daughter affected her self-image, her marriage, her family life and her faith. I tell you what, you are going to need a box of tissues for this podcast. This woman carries the anointing of God over her life. Through her story, she speaks with real authority into the lives and the hearts and the stories of everyday people. I know that no matter where you are in your faith or your life at the moment, you are going to get something out of Mary sharing today. So grab a tissue, sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Mary Lenneberg. Mary, welcome to the Genius Podcast. I am really honoured to have you join us, actually. My good friend, Laura Rowland from Washington, introduced me to you virtually um, a couple of years ago, actually, and I've been following your stuff and your book launch and, and heard you speak a number of times sort of over the internet, which has been brilliant. So welcome. I'm so excited to share you with our women here in Australia. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. It's an absolute delight to be with you. Oh, Laura is the best PR girl uh, the girl exactly. can ask for. She's, the, she's awesome. She's a great PR girl. She's also a beautiful friend. She's got this uncanny ability, and it is the Holy Spirit, to post me something that randomly arrives at precisely the moment that I need it. <laughs> so Yes, she has a gift. She has a gift with that. She does uh, that to all of us here as well. So yeah. It's amazing. Amazing. Like things went astray in the post and she couldn't understand why it was taking so long. But when it arrived, it was the perfect moment. So she's um she's definitely beautiful. It'd be lovely to get on a call actually with you and her one day and, and do a podcast together. That would be fun. Sounds like a great date to me. <laughs> me I too. would be totally open to that. All right. It's done deal. We'll do that. <laughs> but look, I am really excited about talking to you this morning because you have released a book recently called Being Brave in the Scared and it has just got rave reviews. It's gone like hotcakes, hasn't it? It's been amazing. Yes. It's been it's been an incredible journey. Uh, we even won a Catholic Publishing Award did here you? in the United States. We did for spirituality. So that was pretty exciting for a girl who's dyslexic and hated school um, to have, you know, wow. um, your peers kind of validate um, mm -hmm. your words that way is pretty special. But yeah, God has been doing an amazing work with this book. 
Yeah, he sure has. And with your life and the story that he's given you to live, I know just following along on Instagram, I've just been really inspired actually by what you've faced in your life. And I think that's why your book has been so powerful because it comes out of the ashes, doesn't it? Out of a lot of difficulty, grief, loss, trauma, just uncertainty. And I guess that book is really you sharing with the world, I guess, what you learnt through those experiences. And that's something that I'd love to dive into in our conversation because what I hear about you, Mary, (laughs) so you have to live up to your reputation. No pressure. No, no, none at all. None at all. (laughs) But what I hear and what I see is that you're not afraid to get down in the nitty-gritty and the dirt and the mess of the trenches of life. Because I think when we face difficulty and adversity, sometimes, you know, we can hear those scriptures like from Romans, all things work for good for those that love the Lord. (laughs) But when you're in the trenches, it sometimes doesn't feel that God's working it for your good or for his good. And so I'd love you maybe to start at the beginning and just share a little bit about your background. And then we might move into the trenches because I think at the moment, I know my experience talking to a lot of women is that they're really struggling down in the trenches of life with COVID and, and everything else and all the uncertainty in the world, plus their personal circumstances. Mm, so yes, would you take us, yeah, it's, it's an unpleasant time for a lot of people, but would you take us back and just give us a little bit of background? Sure. So I grew up in a Catholic family. I'm one of eight kids. I'm number two yeah. out of eight. I had six brothers and a sister. Went to Catholic schools here in the United States um, through the eighth grade and then went on to public high school and then two years of college before I got married. I would say, I mean, I knew how to say my prayers. I was raised in the church, Mm -hmm. but I didn't necessarily um, have a very strong personal faith when I, when I met my husband, you know, I knew all the things I was, I was kind of like what we call a check in the box Catholic. So went to mass, check. Went yeah. to confession every couple of months, check. But I didn't have that day in and day out personal relationship with Christ. So when I met and married my husband, we did not keep to the rules of the church. And we got pregnant before we were married and we miscarried that baby. Mm-hmm. And then we went on to get married and um, have two more, uh, four, actually a total of uh, three more children. Yeah. One we miscarried again. And then our son, Jonathan, and our daughter, Courtney. And when Courtney was five weeks old on the day of her baptism, she started having grand mal seizures. And so that kind of changed the course of our life. There we were to celebrate, of course, the first sacrament of the church. And she started having seizures. And by the end of that day, we were in the pediatric intensive care unit at the local Mm -hmm. military hospital. And she was connected to all kinds of machines. And they were talking about brain cancer and genetic anomalies and all kinds of things where the answer to every single one of them, you know, the the course of action, where Mm -hmm. it would all end, the end of her story was always death. And so I had kind of my first serious conversation with the Lord. Maybe I might've had maybe two more (laughs) previous to that, you know, one when I was like 18, one was a little younger, but I mean, I just, you talk about getting into the trenches and into the dirt. I got into the dirt and I, I remember it was three o'clock in the morning and we were um, in the basement of the hospital. My husband uh, had left to go back to, we were in Maryland to go back up the coast to Maine, which was 12 hours away because we were supposed to be moving the next day. Oh and we had goodness. come to Maryland for a family wedding. And then, of course, with a big family, whenever you gather, you do the, all the sacraments that need doing. That's, that's what happens when you have a big family. When everybody's yes. there, you, you, you make run the most the- of it. <laughs> that's right. So Courtney was, you know, that's why we had our baptism. And so um, 
I was left in a hospital with my three-year-old son and my daughter who we didn't know would survive and he had to leave um, because the Navy is the Navy and when they say move, you move. So it was very traumatic Mm. and we didn't know the answer. This was the CAT scan that would tell us if she had a brain tumor and I basically called God out, you know, at three o'clock in the morning, screaming and yelling. And I was, you know, I was, I was very, um, forthright with him, shall we say, Yes. kind of was like in a street fight. You know, I'm like, you can come at me, but you cannot come at my daughter. Mm -hmm. I've waited a long time to hold something, you know, to hold someone, a girl that was dressed in pink. You know, I'd been around boys my whole life and it was my dream to have a daughter. And, um, and here she was so sick and, and, uh, nobody knew why. And Mm -hmm. so I kind of, you know, got in his face and said, you know, you can't take her. And I remember in that moment, I heard my dad's voice. Now, my father was not physically there. He was at home taking care of my son with my mother. And I heard him very clearly. And I think God used my dad's voice because I would recognize it and I would stop, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, And he said, do you love her? (laughs) And I just remember kind of getting mad, thinking, of course I love her. Are you an idiot? I mean, you know, (laughs) this is my daughter. Yeah. And yes, I did call God an idiot. Yeah. And I was, yes, you know, I was really mad. And he's like, and his answer was, you know, well, I love her too. And I don't make mistakes. Mm, wow. And so I remember kind of stopping in that moment and, you know, it, that really set me down and it calmed me down. I didn't really understand it, but when she came out of the CAT scan, she did not have a brain tumor. Um, basically, you know, we spent 22 years this side of heaven and her diagnosis the entire time was seizure disorder, origin unknown oh, with gosh. global developmental delay. Most of her special needs that came, came seven months later when we gave her a medication we thought would help her. And she ended up having an allergic reaction and oh, her really? brain went septic and uh, it swelled and her kidneys shut down and her liver shut down. So most of her disabilities yeah. happened because of that. So oh. imagine... Goodness me. You've got a 25-year-old and a 28-year-old, you know, young couple. Yeah. Two children. My son was diagnosed with asthma when he was 18 months old. So he, you know, I'd been through some medical things, but he was doing sure. fine. And then you have, you know, this situation happen with your, your daughter. And, and then you give her a medication thinking it's going to solve the problem. And yeah. it makes everything 5 million times worse. Goodness me. And so for the next seven years, we basically... We're searching for an answer to help her. We just, we were searching through anything, medical, homeopathic. I mean, you name it, if it was legal (laughs) and morally okay, we tried it, you know, to help her because she was having seven to 12 grand mal seizures a day and she would stop breathing during many of them. So you can imagine, yeah, it was really hard and she turned blue and the whole thing. It was just very, very challenging. So, and in the midst of all of that, what happens with a marriage yeah. is that when there is a crisis, everything that you haven't been dealing with, everything that is left unanswered, unsaid, we push it aside because we don't have time to talk about it. We don't, you know, raising babies, we'll deal with that later. We'll deal yeah. with that later. It all comes bubbling to the surface. Courtney mm-hmm. was our earthquake. So- <laughs> When I tell people the story, I use two analogies for court. She was either a volcano that the lava just burned everything in its wake, or she was an earthquake where all the sewage lines broke and all the stuff came up. Yeah. That's and a so both analogies, analogy. utter destruction, Yeah, utter destruction. And so what was revealed within my marriage was 
an addiction to pornography for my husband. Mm -hmm. That's how he dealt with things. That's how he emotionally removed himself from us and, and, uh, you know, (laughs) turned into himself. For me, it was an addiction to food. I would bake and bake and eat and eat and bake and bake and eat and eat. Mm -hmm. And by the time Courtney was four, five years old, I was almost 300 pounds. Now I'm a tall woman and I can carry some weight, but not 300 pounds. Yeah. And, um, and Courtney was in crisis and Jonathan was in crisis and we were trying to handle a, you know, a preschool toddler, then kindergartner, then first grader who was so angry all the time because he didn't know what was happening Yeah, and he couldn't have expressed himself anywhere. It just came out as anger, which is basically fear and depression. Mm -hmm. And we didn't know that. So, you know, we're trying to deal with a very hard to deal with young man. Yeah. And then we're trying to keep our marriage together and we're trying to save our daughter. Mm. And in this whole process, we were only relying on ourselves. Yeah. We had not, I, I had not had many conversations with God in that process. After he said that he didn't make mistakes, I was like, okay, he didn't make mistakes. Great. And then I just went <laughs> off, you know, thanks for yeah. letting me know. And it wasn't until uh, she was seven and we took her to Lourdes on a pil- healing pilgrimage with the Knights and Dames of Malta, where we had an experience where Our Lady just showed up and answered a prayer for us that we didn't even know had been answered for four more years. Really? Like very, oh, no, we didn't, wow. we didn't know. We didn't understand what had happened. So we had had this experience in the water. If you know about Lourdes, it's a yes. place of healing where millions of people have been healed. But what they don't tell you is that the healing a lot of times begins at Lourdes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there've been many miraculous ones you see when you go there. Um, there are crutches from the 1800s of people that went there and they were lame and they left and they could walk. Wow. So more, uh, just amazing things have happened there. But the guides that were with us, the Knights and Dames of Malta had told us a lot of the times it begins at Lord's. So be prepared when you leave for Lord's, whatever the Lord has given you, sure. whatever gifts our lady has interceded on your behalf for may take some time to re- be revealed. Mm-hmm. And so we had this experience in the water, which I write about in chapter six of the book. And we come home and we kind of experience peace for the first time in a very, very long time. And we come to understand that our daughter had a very specific message, uh, mission and a message for the world that was given to her by God. Mm-hmm. And yes, indeed, God does not make mistakes. Every life has purpose and value. Every life has purpose and mission. Courtney's mission was to reveal the face of God to her father and myself and her brother and anyone that she came in contact with. (laughs) Her whole mission without ever saying a word, taking a step or seeing you because she was cortically blind was to love as God loves, which means there was nothing she could do to earn our love. And there was nothing we could do to earn hers. We simply had it. It was free gift given between the two of us which mm-hmm. is exactly a mirror of the relationship of God, the father. Amen. So true. So she could only love. And, and what we came to understand was that Courtney knew and understood what her mission was. Mm-hmm. She had complete and total knowledge and she agreed with God and she undertook the suffering for a purpose that I don't yet understand. And I won't until I see him. Mm-hmm. But she did because she was the most peaceful. She was the most joy-filled young woman. Was she? Spicy, spicy little pepper, we called her. <laughs> she had a temper when she was hungry. Um, <laughs> she hated wearing shoes. 
She hated peas, loved mashed potatoes and chocolate pudding. Um, when she heard her dad's voice or her brother's voice would just beam and really? her, her smile would take over her face and she'd start to giggle. Wow. When she heard my voice, she completely ignored me. <laughs> so um, so, <laughs> you know, I mean, she very much, um, she had a huge personality. Yeah. And yet when the world looked at Courtney, all they saw was burden, mm-hmm. was um, something that was worthless, yeah. um, had no purpose, and was a drain on society. Mm-hmm. And yet, my daughter, I know without a, without a doubt, mm-hmm. brought more people to Christ than I hope to ever bring to Christ. Yeah, wow. And, you know, people, when we would put out, I had a blog starting in 2007 where I started to write about her and our life together. And people who had never prayed, she would be in a crisis, she would be sick, she'd be in the hospital from seizures or what have you. I'd put out the word for prayers and I would get email upon email upon hundreds of them. And people are like, I've never really prayed, but I'm going to pray for Courtney. Really? I, oh yeah, I still have them. You know, I've never gone to church. I've never stepped foot in church, but I went to a church today because Courtney needs me. Gosh. Oh my goodness. You know, so she did her job and she did it very, very well. Mm -hmm. And the legacy of love that she has left for her family spurs Mm -hmm. us on every single day. Yeah. To make sure that we are still doing what she asked us to do, which was to be the face of Christ to anyone we would meet and to love them and meet them exactly where they are. My job is not to convert. My job is to love. Mm -hmm. That's my job. And God, if he so chooses and the person is so open to him, he's the one that comes in and the Holy Spirit is the one and comes in Mm -hmm. and does the conversion and the evangelization. My job is to be present and to love them exactly where they are, how they are, to make sure the door is open and there's a seat at my table. Mm. I love and she that. taught us that. It's incredible, isn't it? Like you said, in the eyes of the world, she was a burden. But really, the truth of her existence was she was an incredible gift to so many. And Absolutely. Just, just beautiful. And I know like on your Instagram, just the photos you've shared of her, like joy just comes through Instagram <laughs> from her. Yeah. It's just incredible. So just to share with me, you went to Lourdes and you came back. And how old was she when you came back from Lourdes? She was seven. She was okay. seven. And one of the miracles of Lourdes was in the United States, we received communion or the Eucharist at the age of seven. It's the age of reason. And so she actually received first communion, which we never thought she would be able to do because typically you have to be able to answer questions and understand Mm -hmm. that that is the, um, you know, that is our Lord Jesus and the Mm -hmm. source and summit of our faith in the Eucharist. And because of what happened in Lourdes, uh, the bishop agreed to give her her first communion in Lourdes. So she received her first communion. Wow. And then she was later confirmed when she was 16. So. Gosh, how beautiful. Yeah. She was brought fully and completely. Not that she needed to be because there was no way she could ever sin because yes. she did not have that ability. Yeah. But as a witness to other people, as a witness to the dignity of her life, our pastor and our bishop felt that she mm-hmm. should have all of the sacraments. And mm-hmm. so she did. And that has now led the way for many others who 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, would not have been able to receive the sacraments mm-hmm. and now are. Yeah, praise so God. it's a beautiful testament to the dignity of her life mm-hmm. and to honoring of her personhood. 
that, you know, she deserved equal um, representation Mm. in the church Mm -hmm. when it came time to receive the sacraments. Yeah. Wow. That's so beautiful. And and tell me, she was 22 when she passed away. How many years ago is that now? Um, December 27th of this Mm. year will be six years. Wow, golly, good home with the Lord for for six years. Yeah, she was born on the feast of Saint Helena of the Cross. Yes, so the one who found the true cross, August eighteenth, and she died on the feast of Saint John the Beloved, the one who never left Our Lady's side, and also stood at the foot of the cross. So we, in our house, um, know that our daughter remained with our Lord at the foot of the cross through the entirety of her life. Hmm. Yeah. Um, because nobody could write that story but God. And like we were saying before, that can bring such beauty from the ashes, but only he can do that. Indeed. And I'm sure like that whole journey that you walked, like you described your early marriage and then when Courtney was diagnosed and, and the challenges with your son, like those years must have been so difficult. You must have felt so disoriented in your own life, not knowing where you fo- to put your feet, how to take that next step forward. How did you actually navigate those years? Not well. No. <laughs> Not well. You know, it's survival of the fittest. I mean, yes. when I think of the first 13 years of her life, mm-hmm. that's what I think of. I think we didn't quit. We didn't quit on our marriage. Mm-hmm. We didn't quit on being parents. We might not have really enjoyed, uh, you know, whatever God was doing. We might not have agreed with it but we still went to church. We still showed up. We might not have believed everything, but we, we put ourselves, we just, we didn't quit. We just kept showing up because see, the thing is, is that it's you and I that walk away from the Lord. The Lord never walks away from us. He is faithful Mm -hmm. and true throughout time. And Mm -hmm. it's us that makes the decision to walk away. It's us that makes the decision to become bitter. It's us that makes the decision not to love. Mm-hmm. or not to at least be open to receiving his love. And so Courtney, one of the great lessons of her life was she put us in the place of the sacrament of the cre- present moment. I could not plan. Okay. No. I couldn't plan Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday because I didn't know if she was going to live through Monday. Mm-hmm. And so for 22 years, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, I lived in a mobile ICU unit. Mm-hmm. And my one job was to care for her, to love her, to make sure I fed Jerry, fed Jonathan, loved them as best I could. And it was very isolating. I was nowhere on the list. Mm -hmm. Um, There wasn't room on the list for me. Um, Every once in a while, you know, God would would give a mercy and a grace and Mm -hmm. I would get a day away or I'd get, you know, an overnight with um, my mom or, Mm -hmm. you know, just someplace where I could rest. But they were very few and far between. And that's nobody's fault. That's just how it was. How it was, yeah. And um, you just, you know, you think of, you, you think back a few generations in your own family. Mm. You know, what were those women and men doing? They were working. They were working hard yeah. to sustain their life. Mm-hmm. And so it might have looked a little different, but it didn't feel any different. We were working really hard to yeah. dista- sustain our family. And so... Um, it was very isolating. It was mm. extremely isolating. Not a lot of people understand unless you have a severely uh, disabled child who's medically fragile and yes. you've walked in those shoes yourself. It's just not something you can comprehend because it's too overwhelming. Mm. It's just too overwhelming. And so, you know, I didn't, I would walk out of the house and we'd take her to church and I'd smile and she would be in her pretty dress and <laughs> I would be in my dress and nobody had a clue. How much suffering is going on? And we just did what you're supposed to do. 
And then our marriage kind of began to sink Hmm. and break. And we knew we needed to do something to fix it. And so we began counseling. We began individual counseling. We began mentorship. Uh, Jerry, um, you know, faced his addiction. I faced my addiction. And through the teachings of theology of the body from Pope John Paul II, we actually experienced in 2008 a complete and total healing of our marriage. Did you? And um, we did. We were we went to a retreat for seven days with Christopher West in Pennsylvania. Yes. Walked through the theology of the body's teaching. And we were already before then four or five years into therapy and mm-hmm. and with a mentor couple and all of that sort of thing. But this was sort of this was um, the icing on the cake, the completion of, of okay. what was already happening. And so in October of 2008, we renewed our vows. And we came out of that experience um, renewed and restored and redeemed and prepared because at that point, once our marriage and our marriage bed was healed, mm-hmm. that's when our son went through a four-year kind of depression and anxiety. He left college yeah. and really we broke him, you know, we broke mm-hmm. him and God restored him. So he made sure that we were in a place and we had opened our lives so completely and surrendered all control to him yeah. that we were able to withstand helping our son walk through his own valley of the shadow of death and coming out on the other side as, as stronger and more faith-filled and more focused on what we're here to do and yeah. what God's role in that is and what our role is with the Lord and understanding who we are and who God is. And during those five years, Courtney was at her healthiest. Wow. So God really just gave us time. He gave us the great gift of time. Yeah. And that's what happens when you surrender everything to him. There's a, a scripture passage that I have put in every single book <laughs> that I have signed of Be Brave and the Scared. And it's Ephesians chapter three, verses 20 and 21. And yeah. basically it says the generosity of God can never be outdone for those who love him mm-hmm. and serve him. And that's not a direct quotation, but that's what it means. Yes. And, um, and that is, uh, gosh, that's Courtney's life in a nutshell. You know, <laughs> we, we used to pray Jeremiah 29, 11 and 12 over her, which is, you know, I know the plans I have for you, plans for you to prosper, not to harm you. Mm-hmm. All I ask is that you call out to me and I will answer your prayer. You know, everybody stops at Jeremiah 29, 11. They don't go on to 12 and 13. And that's the kicker there. It's like, He's asking you, just call out and I'll be there. Yeah. And so we did. And we did time and time again. And it was hard. Yeah. And there wasn't a whole lot of sleep involved. Um, there was a lot of prayer. There was a lot of emotion. There was a lot of therapy. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of friends who would just come and sit on the front porch as I wept. Yeah. Um, just to say that I was seen and I was known and I was cared for and the same for my husband and my son. Mm-hmm. And Such. then God just kind of slowly walked us. He again, gave us the gift of time. Mm. And then on December 27th, 2014 at one fifty one AM, um, <laughs> God answered my prayer. And my prayer was that she would not die alone. She would not be scared or in pain. And she died in my arms as I was singing hail Mary full of grace to her. And she simply exhaled with a smile on her face. And uh, I say it was the worst day of my life and the best day of my life because it was the worst day because I knew I would never hold my child in my arms again. I would never feel the weight of her on my chest. I would never see her beautiful blue eyes or hear her 
raucous laugh. Um, and it was the best day of my life because my daughter was blind. And so I knew that when she opened her eyes, the first person she would see was Jesus. And she would run so darn fast. She would fly into his arms. And I can only imagine the conversation because if it sounded anything like me after winning, you know, the race, yeah. she had finished the race. It was, we did it. See, we did it, Jesus. We did it. Yeah. I'm here. Thank you. I love you. And I know that for the past six years, she hasn't stopped running and she hasn't stopped doing. And she is one of the most powerful intercessors in our life and, and many others that we know. And there are babies being born that she interceded for. And there are marriages that have been saved that she's interceded for. Miracles have happened with her intercession. And they may never be recognized by the church, but they are recognized by the people who prayed them and who trusted yes. her with their hearts. And uh, her legacy continues to live on and her story will live on as long as there is breath in my body and my husband's and my son. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you've got me completely undone. <laughs> the other end of this uh, podcast, that's just, oh my goodness, such a, a beautiful story. I think when you just were describing that moment where she walked into eternity and she ran into the arms of the Lord. I was just thinking, you know, that's, I guess, in our own prayer time, what the Lord wants with us as well. Like that when we are going through pain and suffering, that he's there just like that with open arms for us to catch us and to hold us. Oh. I just, that really, um, yeah, that really touched me. As you were just well, there's so many people, like think of today and what we're going through. There's uh -huh. so many people that are truly, truly suffering. They're suffering yes. physically, mentally, emotionally. Absolutely. Um, you know, and at different degrees all over the world. I mean, the pandemic is something we are all sharing. Mm -hmm. in. It's a common experience. And what I've come to understand through Courtney's life and really through my father who died, he fought cancer for 10 years and and through other people that have suffered greatly, is that suffering is such a gift to us <laughs> because it's an opportunity for us to link arms with Jesus and to put our shoulder under that cross like Simon of Cyrene did, you know, that helped him. Yeah. And we are able to give, we're given the gift to walk a couple of steps with him. <laughs> we're able to understand what he felt. Yeah. And we're able to offer in return to him, this gift of our own suffering in honor of what he did for us. Yeah. You know, today we're recording this podcast in the United States. It's the feast of the exaltation of the cross. Hmm. And where you are, it's the feast of St. Mary of Sorrows. Yeah. You know, you go. they go hand in hand. We yeah. cannot have Easter without Good Friday. No. You cannot have the Pentecost without the incarnation. You cannot have you know, this Via Della Rosa that he is asking us to walk for such a short time. This mm -hmm. life is such a short time so that we might enjoy eternity, paradise, you mm -hmm. know, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Yeah. And so many people get lost in the pain. They get lost in the loneliness. They get lost in the isolation and they forget or they're never even, the worst part is some of them are never even told. They're ne they never yeah. knew to start with. Yeah. But you never, ever, ever take a breath without being a thought of God. <laughs> you exist because he is loving you into existence right now. And if you are taking a breath 
then there is still a mission for you to accomplish. There is still a purpose for you to go after. There is still work to be done. And we get so lost in the isolation and we go to despair and we lose hope. And a lot of people look at Courtney's life as hopeless. Hmm. I look at Courtney's life as a miracle. Absolutely. The very breath that she would take every day was so precious, so precious, that this idea that God breathes life into us, I, I just, I can feel it some days to my very physical core mm-hmm. that I still have work to do yeah. and that he still needs me to go and love and move as he has asked me to move. Mm. and in a time like this where there's so many opportunities to suffer don't let it go to waste (laughs) he doesn't waste it he wastes nothing in your life if you look back at my life and everything that I've gone through and everything that I did to myself the choices I made then what happened to me where I had no control to walking through my marriage and with my children we should be divorced and we should be bitter, unhappy people. Yeah. And yet we just celebrated 32 years of marriage. <laughs> and I That's love gone. him more today than I did then. And our son is, is in a serious relationship looking at his own future yes. um, to begin to start a family. I mean, that yeah. shouldn't be. None of this should be. If no. the world was in charge, none That's of it right. would be. But God is God and I am not. And he is sovereign in my life. And therefore, what he says goes. I might not always agree with it, but in the end, it's his. Yeah. Courtney was never mine. Courtney was always his. I just got to love her for a little while this side of heaven. It's just so beautiful. And I think, God, I don't even need to speak. You could just do the whole podcast because there's so much in there. I'm just listening. I'm like, I might not even share this live. I'm like just having my own personal moments as you're sharing. It's just hitting me really hard in the heart because I think, I know I have suffered over these past 12 months, you know, small losses, but back to back and they definitely do wear you down don't they like when they when they come and then you find yourself like you say in a place of burnout a place of despair and feeling lost and I wanted to go back for a moment you spoke about that moment where you just felt lost in pain and really isolated and I'm just wondering if you can share I guess any practical things with women who find themselves in the same position at the moment because I can think of so many women who share with me, I guess, the story of their life and the pain of their life and that feeling of just being lost and just not knowing. It's like they need some goalposts, something to hold on to, to keep, you know, them up, getting up every day to keep them moving forward. Like how did you do that in the midst of everything you faced? The two things that come to mind are light and movement. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is light. What brings you light? Before this difficult thing that is happening to you, there were things in your life that hopefully brought you joy. What were they? Mm-hmm. Remind yourself of them. Um, you know, for me, I, I have scriptures that are highlighted in my Bible that I go to because they're the truth. Scripture is the inspired word of God. And I didn't always believe them word for word, but they comforted me nonetheless. 
And so I've come to understand them and therefore believe over time. But that is the light, you know, the light. I um, let your word be a light into my feet, you know, and yes. a lamp into my fa- onto my path. You know, that's a psalm from David. So I learned to find the light. Was it getting a hot cup of coffee with a friend for 15 minutes? Or there was a time where I couldn't leave the house because Courtney was in isolation. And so a friend would bring me coffee on the front porch and it was February, which is very cold here. Yes. And we would be buttoned up. Courtney would be asleep. I'd have the baby monitor and I'd be sitting there and we would talk over a cup of coffee Hmm. just to be seen, just to have the time. What, what brings you that light? What brings you that joy? Find it Hmm. and don't let it go. And when it gets really dark and really high, hard, make sure that you can carve some time for that. And that leads me to movement. A lot of the times in isolation, you're in your home. Like, you know, there are many people right now that are literally being isolated to their homes and they're not allowed to go outside. That's right. It was like that for me all the time because Courtney would be sick or her immune system would be compromised and it would be winter or it would be too hot or it would be, you know, whatever it was. So we spent a lot of time inside. And so this lack of movement, of physical movement, mm. um, became difficult for me. Yeah. It becomes depressive if you don't yes. move your body. Yes. You know, it's a scientific fact. Go out and walk. Yeah. And so I made sure that every day we, she would be in her wheelchair. And no matter what the month was, as long as there wasn't snow on the ground, <laughs> um, we would walk around our little cul-de-sac. We live in a little circle. And you, you know? would take her out to do And that. I would take her out and we would walk every day, 20 minutes, wow. half an hour, 10 minutes if it was really warm, mm-hmm. but just the light on your skin yes. and the fresh air and the people, you know, they would Makes come you out, feel neighbors better. would come out and they would see you just to be seen. That would change the course of our day, mm-hmm. you know, especially if it was a really, really hard night. Her worst seizures were from midnight to 5 a.m. So it was a really, really hard night, you know, that sunshine or even the coldness of winter on your skin, you know, the, the would, would liven you up, you know, um, and find those things, light and movement, prayer. Hmm. There were four rote prayers that I said all the time. I said the rosary, um, to have comfort. And then I would say, Jesus, I trust in you. I would say the Memorare and the St. Michael prayer. Hmm. And sometimes I would just be on repeat. Yeah. yeah. Especially if she was having a seizure and she had stopped breathing. Jesus, I trust in you. Lord God, if this is the moment that you take her home to you, I am here. I am with her. I have loved her. I have given her everything I have. I've given her. We've, we've left it all on the field. We've done everything we could. Please be gentle as you take her home. I said that for years. And now I say it. It doesn't sound like that, but it's like, Lord, this moment is yours. Mm. Just, you know, help me guide my mouth, guide my feet, Mm. show me the path. And the final thing I learned how to do was to say prayers of lament. Mm. It's something we're missing in our culture. Um, We used to lament. Our Jewish brothers and sisters know how to do it beautifully, of course, because they have the Psalms of David that they memorize. Mm. And the lament is a prayer that David taught us where there's three parts to the prayer. The first part is you call out to the Lord and you kind of reintroduce yourself like, Lord, it's Mary. You know, you did this for me when I was 12. I love you because you did this. You know, 
it's, it's sort of um, praising him, right? The first part is praise of the yeah. Lord and all that he has done in your life. Even if there's one thing that you can <laughs> think of that he's done, you praise him for it, right? Mm. The second part is to bring your need before the Lord. Lord, I need X, Y, and Z. You know, I, I, my son needs prayers. My husband needs prayers. My marriage needs prayers. My, my pastor needs prayers. I need wh- whoever, whatever it is, mm-hmm. is bringing your need. And then the third part is the most important part because that's the part where you surrender it all to God. And we say these beautiful words, if it be your will, Lord, if it be your will. Mm-hmm. I say that because I lamented throughout the entirety of my daughter's life. I grieved. Yeah, I did. I had to, um, you grieved what she couldn't do. Yes. And you praised what she could. Yeah. And you ended it always with your will be done Lord. And Mm. a lot of people ask me, they're like, Mary, but God never answered your prayer. You asked for her to be healed Mm. and he never answered your prayer. How can you even talk to God at this point? And I have to laugh because I, like the woman of great faith, the woman, the Samaritan woman that came to Jesus at the table, right? She comes in, Jesus is sitting there having a meal and she says, Lord, help me. And Jesus looks at her. And at first he's like, I didn't come to help your people. You're Samaritan. I'm here to help the chosen ones. So you can leave now. And she doesn't leave. She says, but I know who you are, Lord. I know that you can heal my daughter. Mm -hmm. And then he compares her to the worst of the worst, which is a dog. He throws a scrap <laughs> from the table and he says, what, you're going to get that scrap from the table? And she says, but it's a scrap from you. And I know that it is good enough for me and my daughter. Now, what was God doing? Was he insulting her? No, he knew exactly what was going to happen, but he needed her to know. Mm-hmm. He needed her to know what was she willing to do What was she willing to give up? How was she willing to humble herself so that her daughter would be healed? Yeah. And in the end, what does he say to her? Go, you are a woman of great faith. Go, your daughter's been healed. (laughs) And she left the table and went out and told everyone what had happened. We never hear about her again. But can you imagine how different her life was? Absolutely. Her daughter was healed. Now, a lot of people come to me and they're like, but Mary, she didn't heal your daughter. I mean, he didn't heal your daughter. And I say, well, yes, he did. Yeah. He healed her in the most beautiful and miraculous way. Yes. And that is by bringing her home to him. Yeah. His will be done. Is it the way I wanted the story to end? No. But see, her story's not over. No. My story is not over. God continues to rewrite, to restore, to rebuild you know, and we're like recycled, you know, we're just just stronger (laughs) over and over and over. And you think of the most broken places in your life. You think of a vase or a, a, that's been broken and you glue it back together and you put it up to the sun and the sun shines through where all the broken places. Hmm. And now God, six years later has asked myself and my husband and my son in our own ways to go forth and preach the gospel of love. Mm -hmm. And what do we talk about? All the crap that we don't ever want to talk about. Yeah. Because that is where God lives. And that's where he's moved. In the dark and the broken. He lives in the dirt and the mud and the muck. And he's just sitting there next to you going, just tell me. 
because I have not left you. Share mm. with me. Give it to me because I already redeemed it, restored it, and renewed it Amen. because I died on the cross for all of it. And death does not win. No. Amen. Um, my husband used to say, you know, sometimes your life is lived as an example of what not to do. <laughs> and, and I laugh at that because, you know, he's very much right. But it also, sometimes what's happening to you and the suffering you're undergoing has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the people that are watching you, the people that are listening to you, the people that are witnessing your suffering. And they are looking to see the hope. They are looking to see Jesus in you. And many times we fail at giving what we should give. We go to despair instead of hope. We go to um, envy instead of celebration. We go to competition instead of encouragement. Um, and therefore, what people witness of us, you know, is our true humanity. Thank goodness for the sacrament of confession and reconciliation. But yeah, a lot of the times I, I've come to understand a lot of the things that Courtney went through mm -hmm. um, were for other people. Yeah. So that they would know that God really does exist. It's and he really so does wonders. love you. Yeah. And it's not just some fairy tale. He no. is true and he is faithful. He is real. He is sovereign. <laughs> Amen. And he has won the battle. Amen. It's it's interesting in my own life at the moment. I just I shared with you before just about a, a whole lot of losses coming together, mm -hmm. and it's interesting. <laughs> you're really convicting me. <laughs> to uh, I mean, I I'm very faith filled, and so is my husband. But we're probably it's hard with loss. It's really hard, and and when it's accumulative over a full mm -hmm. twelve, well, you know, over a couple of years, it definitely I I feel a little worn out by it. So. You feel worn out about it, but remember, Christ hung on the cross. So <laughs> at a, a lot of people... Um, Hello, they, get over yourself. Them, no, 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 exactly, no, no. Not get over yourself, rest. A lot of the time, God allows loss because he needs you to be quiet and he needs you to be leaning on him because he's leading you into the next thing which is when he takes something away, there is something to replace it. Not, not to replace a person, but there is something else coming that he needs your concentration and your effort in. And so what I've learned through loss is that a lot of the times he is calling me to be quiet. He's calling me to kind of look at my life and say, okay, this really hurt. Losing this person hurt. All right, Lord, what do you need of me? What, what can I do? How can I celebrate this person's life? How can I learn the lessons that they gave me? Or if it's a job loss, or if it's a friendship loss, or you lose your home, or whatever it is, there is something there. There is something beautiful that will rise from that. Whether it's the lessons of the other person's life that if they visited upon you, that will now change how you move forward or maybe it's a job that, you know, you should never have taken and God's like, okay, well you took it. That's great. Well, now we're going to come back to this path. Now, now you're going to write yourself and write the ship. And here we go. It's a, when loss is a matter of trust in the Lord, <laughs> you know, it's all about trust. 
You sound and like it's my all husband. about surrender. <laughs> well, and it's hard. It's really, really hard to do that. And that's why God only gives you today. Yeah. Remember that beautiful quote, my mother Teresa, you know, yesterday is gone. Tomorrow has not been given. Today is what we have. So let us begin. Yeah. Every single day of our life, sometimes every single hour of our day, it's okay. It's now it's now it's two o'clock. All right, Lord, what do I need to do now? Now it's three o'clock. What do I need to do now? It's Thursday. What do I need to do? And we get so overwhelmed with busyness and noise yeah. that we can't hear him. And therefore we get more hopeless and more despondent. We get more confused, more chaotic. And that's exactly where Satan wants us to be. Because yeah. when you're in those places, you can't hear God. So the way out is rest. The way out is rest and silence. Yeah. That's what I have found. I found that by quieting myself and what I'm doing, um, that I'm able to truly grieve that loss and honor that loss. You know, our world doesn't even allow, remember uh, back in the day, they would, wives and daughters would spend an entire year in mourning. Yeah. They would wear black. They wouldn't go to social events. They would be home in mourning so that they would honor their loved one and the memory of their loved one. Yeah. My husband was given three days off of work because his daughter died. <laughs> three days, goodness. Three days. Like that's going to do anything, you know? So, I mean, we don't even honor our people time to rest. When we get sick, we don't take a sick day. We power through. We yeah. don't rest. I mean, the Lord allows these things in our life. He doesn't, he doesn't cause death. Sin causes death. Yeah. God can only love. That is his nature pure and total love. So we ourselves as humans have gotten ourselves into the situation where we never, ever rest. We never, ever slow down. We never, ever sit in silence and listen for that still small voice. And that's what I've, that's what loss has given me. My daughter died. I took the time. I took the time. I removed myself from everything. Did you? I Just, did for, yeah. I, not for a year. I did it for three months. Wow. My first memory, I have two memories after Courtney died, one in February and then one at Easter. So that's really? two to four months. Yep. Wow. <clears throat> and after Easter vigil, that's what I remember every day. <laughs> Gosh. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're talking about, the prayers of lament and just that, yeah. you know, the Lamentations book, mm -hmm. learning to really grieve. It's, it's not grieve. something we do very well in this no. culture. No, but the gift of lamentation, you know, you can imagine King David in heaven today, you know, you read his Psalms and he was, I love you, Jesus. I hate you, Jesus. I really <laughs> screwed up, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I, I mean, I mean, it was, I mean, come on. He murdered a man so he could have his wife. Hmm. He, I mean, <laughs> he he was bad. I don't even know what to say. He was a bad dude. You know, he was a good man with good intentions, but really messed up. Yeah. Right? Yes. Really messed up. Look at the apostles. They called, half of them called themselves fishermen and they could not even catch a fish. <laughs> you know, I mean, and then you had a tax collector. And you, yeah. I mean, these guys were the rubble. Who was, who was Saul? He became Paul. He was a murderer. Hmm. So when you look at what God can do, you cannot stand before the cross and say, well, I'm just Mary. I don't know what you can do with me. Mm, I'm not, 
salvageable. I'm not fruitful. There is nothing I can do, Lord. I'm useless. Um, I think not. (laughs) Let's do something with that. Yeah, because he's breathing life into you, as I said, in this moment. And therefore, everything you need to do the job he gave you already exists within you. But it's the Holy Spirit, the supernatural superhero of encouragement that is going to come in and swoop in literally into your life. And he is going to take care of Satan, who is the spirit of discouragement and despair. And he will wipe the floor with him. The one thing you must do is to say yes is to open your heart to God and say, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. I am in a whole lot of pain right now. I don't understand why you're allowing what you're allowing. I don't know how I'm going to make this right. I don't know how it's ever going to be okay again. But I trust you that you are God and I am not. And I surrender this moment to you. I surrender this person to you. I surrender my life to you. Fix it, Jesus. Fix it. Death is survivable. There are people I, I meet now in my travels and my speaking that their husband died 20 years ago and they are still grieving as if Gosh. he died yesterday. They've never stepped out of that. Yeah. Grief does not define me. It is a part of my story. It's like the ivy that wraps itself out of around a beautiful tower. Mm. You know, it holds it together. But grief isn't my story. Yeah. My story is one of hope. My story is one of encouragement. Mm-hmm. My story is one of mercy and wisdom and hospitality. My story is one of love. And it was my daughter and my son in their innocence and in their dependence upon me and my husband that showed us how to love God and how to serve him well. From this point, Mary had me completely undone. She just started speaking truth bomb after truth bomb into my life. And I've cut the remaining part of the podcast because it was so personal. And I just felt so blessed that she would share and journey with me, I guess, through my own experience and speak into that. So I will forever be grateful to her for her time, her wisdom, her gentleness, and the gift of the witness of her story. If you'd like to get a copy of Mary's book or you'd like to check out her blogs, please check out her website, marylenaberg.com, M-A-R-Y-L-E-N-A-B-U-R-G.com. She's also on Instagram and she posts fantastic daily stories as well as other posts to encourage and inspire. At the end of this episode, I invited Mary just to say a prayer over, I guess, the experiences that many people may have listening to her. I know sometimes as women, we can have our hearts broken open and not know where to go with that. So I pray that if that is you, that you would find a quiet space, just as Mary prays over and into your life. In the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father God, we thank you so much for this time together. Oh, the power of your Holy Spirit was so very present in our conversation, Lord. I ask, Father God, whoever hears this podcast, whoever hears the words that Karen and I share, Lord Jesus, this night, that um, you bring your healing power upon them. You bring hope where there is despair. You bring light where there is darkness. You bring encouragement where there is envy. You bring championship where there is challenge. You bring victory. 
Lord Jesus, that everyone who wishes to walk in freedom, Father God, whether they choose you and trust you and surrender to you, has that option in their life, Lord God. They just need to receive it. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for the oceans that these words cross. We thank you for your cross and for the power of your most holy cross. And we thank you for your mother who stood so valiantly and with strength and wisdom and mercy and never, ever left you. We thank you for her example as women. We thank you for St. John, the beloved, who remained by her side, who was ever faithful, Lord. We thank you so much that you gave your only begotten son so that we might live abundantly. And we ask through the intercession of her most blessed mother that she wrap her mantle around each and every person that will hear my voice and Karen's voice. And that whatever it is that needs healing is healed. That whatever it is that needs to be released and unbound is unbound In your most holy name, we pray, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.